You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos, I hate calling myself that, and underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Hey, what's up? We're here for another amazing edition of Delirious Nomads with uh, the amazing John Tempesta this week. Good buddy of mine. We're just going to let him do all the talking because I could just listen to this guy talk all day long. <laughs> he's as smart as he is as funny. Uh, he's a halfway decent drummer. And you might know him from The Cult or White Zombie or Exodus or Testament or Helmet or any other number of bands he's been in, which we're going to talk about. You get around, man. You are a whore of a drummer. I am. <laughs> it's good to be here, by the way, guys. Yeah, man, thank you so awesome. much. Here, uh, we really, we really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Hey, let me let me start with this, okay? Because my dad's from Italy, right? So with the big Italian accent, I'll start off this. Okay, okay. So you went in the Exodus, and then you went into the Testament. Uh, what's the next abandoned? Ten Commandments. <laughs> oh my God, that's fucking hysterical. That's. Uh... <laughs> Biblical bands, baby. Who is next? Gotta love the the strong Italian fathers. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. hey, man. We've been threatening to hang out and shoot pool at my house and and have a day for like three months. And this is the closest we get to to actually doing it. Soon enough, soon enough, man. We have a long summer ahead of us, don't we? Yes, we do. We do. So so let's start with that. What, what What does your summer look like? When are you going back out on tour? Uh, looks like October. We have some dates already. We have a handful of dates, the makeup dates that we, you know, we couldn't do in uh, fucking 2020, right? 2020. Yeah. I don't even know what year it is right now. So like um, San Diego and Albuquerque, probably Vegas, and they're going to add dates around that. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just see how it goes. You know, I'm excited though. Uh, sure. I mean, every it's, it's we talk about this on this podcast a lot. Um, it's gonna it's gonna be really amazing to see what's gonna happen because everybody's yeah. gonna on the road. Everybody, and there's just not gonna be enough dates for everybody. So it's gonna that's be exactly right. So I'm um, like you know sitting back and watch what happens. That's that's gonna be the thing. I mean, isn't the Food Fighters playing the Garden next week? So that's like with a the, real in with, two weeks. Uh, but yeah, with Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah, oh, really? I didn't know that, man. Cool. And it sold out instantly, like every seat. And they expanded the garden from 16,000 to 20,000. And wow. it's completely out. Man, that's that's my place, man. I, my first concert ever was Bowie in 77 at the garden. Oh, wow. Oh, you, you're going to love my house then. When you, As soon as I, I got this really amazing Bowie thing, when, as soon as you walk into my house, you're going to love it. But anyway. Okay. Because <laughs> you've gone on to play the garden, right, John? Never. Oh, I okay. played every fucking arena except the garden. 
That's my awesome. dream to play the Garden because it's you know the Union yeah. thing. It's really expensive. We were supposed was supposed to play there with Pantera back in ninety five, ninety six, or where Gargantua is, but. It's just, it, you know, you have to really, it's like one of those things you have to sell it out to make enough money to profit. And yeah. Just to get in the door of the garden is a lot of money, right? So yeah, we did course. play Nassau Coliseum and the Meadowlands at the time. Brendan Byrne Arena was back then, right? But still, the garden, that, that was it. I mean, it was Bowie first. My second concert was Van Halen, opened up the Sabbath in 78. And no one knew who Van Halen was, and they fucking smoked Sabbath up the stage. And we're the biggest Sabbath fans. It's like, who the fuck is this band? Honestly, I've never seen a band do that. Pantera had a bit of that, though. When you seen Pantera play, opening for, you know, they were just ferocious, man. They were scary, you know? It's insane you saw that Van Halen Sabbath tour, because that's, like, the tour I'm historically the the most obsessed with. Like, that must have been insane. They die tour, yeah. Because, like, Never Say Die yeah. is also, like, a weirdly great Sabbath album. I like that record a lot, man. It's a dark record. Yeah. Um, I'm reading Running With The Devil right now, uh, one of the one of the, with the Van Halen uh, biographies, and I actually just read the, the, the chapters I just finished, more, more or less, is when they're out on the road with Sabbath and they're talking about how they're blowing them off the stage every night. <laughs> oh, yeah, even Sabbath says. I mean, but not even the States. They toured in Europe with them, too. Like, you know, Ham- yeah. you know fucking Hammersmith, Odeon and all that stuff. So they, they became really good friends. I know until the end, like, Iomi and Eddie Van Halen were very close. So. What was it like to see something like that? Like, because it was, I think people forget how revolutionary Van Halen were. What was it like as like a kid who was into Black Sabbath and Bowie to see Eddie Van Halen like destroy your brain like that? Unbelievable. Well, first of all, it's me and my my uh, my two friends, my base, the Brian Cody and Walter Garza, the guys I jammed with. We were 15 years old at the time and going to the garden and you see the first of all is Alex Van Halen's drum setup. Right. I see these these I never seen this before. He had two bass drums put together. Right. And he had yeah. a gas mask. You've seen the, you know, the silver sparkle kit. Then you had the, the stacks of marshals. And the seats we had back at the time were in Lowe's at the garden, right? And that's where the lighting guy would sit up on the top in Lowe's. And it, it was Pete Angelis who became their manager, right? And we're kids. Like, who is this band? He goes, oh, it's Van Halen. They're from California. We had no idea. I'm like, hey, man. We're smoking weed. Like when, when they puff, they go, no, I'm cool. I go, so tell us about this band. He goes, just watch, guys. You know, just watch. And as soon as they went on stage, they, they opened up it on fire. And like David Lee Roth jumped off the marshals, like doing this fucking kick and everything. And and Eddie Van Halen did his solo, but he did like, you know, he didn't really show the crowd. He did it towards his back, you know. And the one time he had his Les Paul during an eruption as well. I would tell Zach Wilde this story. He goes, you fucking seen that? Because I know he played a Les Paul. There's the only time he really played alive was that tour. Pretty fucking cool. How did you get started? Like, like when did you start? I mean, I know, I know you, I know a lot of your adult life but i don't know how you actually started what you hide me when did you first get behind a kit why i know your brother's also you know a great player yeah. uh mike um how did you like what how'd that how'd that come about my next door neighbor my older brothers are very influenced like we all grew up in the 70s they're older than me and my next door neighbor charlie castelluccio who became an nypd detective later on he had a blue sparkle kit right my mom would always buy me those cheap like kits for christmas and i'd break them in an hour right so charlie had a proper kit so he was moving on to his from blue sparkle to gold sparkle kit so he goes hey mimi my mom you know like I'll sell Johnny the kit for $25. I'm like, and I beg my mom, please, please, please. So, you know, got the kit right over the porch right there. Just poured the kit over right into the, you know, the basement of the house. And 
Honestly, that was it for me. I set him up in the basement. I was polishing him. I was putting like jewelry on the kit. And then I started listening to records and just started playing along with everything. And I was very, Charlie was a big influence to me. I mean, besides playing drums, he became a singer. You know, he was like that Jagger guy. You know, he looked like Jagger, he sounded like him. And I always looked up to him and he took me to my first concert, which was Bowie. Because they had an extra ticket. They asked my mom, can I take Johnny to the concert? And we took the fucking sixth train to the garden. And that was it for me, man. And we had sh shitty tickets, but the tickets weren't that shitty because uh, it was side stage of the, you know, Dennis Davis watching him play drums. And I had a view, like, and I still have this vision of him, you know? Oh, and that wow. was it. I, Madison Square Garden, that, that, that was it for me. Yeah. That's, but it's, it's just insane to get to, like, see peak Bowie at 13. I was That's very, great. very, I remember going to, to school the next day, these kids like, what is that? I had, I had like a pin and everything, you know, <laughs> way above it. Like, you know who this guy is? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like back then it was like, what, 1977. So who knows? Sean Cassidy and shit like that, maybe. Were you and your brother like playing music together or were you doing your own separate thing? No, Mike, Mike, Mike picked up the guitar uh, years later, you know, but we always listen to music together. You know, we shared a bedroom and blast music and have the turntable going on. And yeah, music was always there in the neighborhood. Like, and you would love this, Chris, in the seventies, like, uh, you know, McClay Avenue where I grew up in, in the Bronx, everybody had a muscle car, man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right now. Don't you? Yeah. You ever Chevelle? My next door neighbor. I remember in 1969, I was probably over oh, 70. Sal, the neighbor, it was a brand new fucking Dodge Charger in purple. Remember when they came out? And my next door neighbor had a, he had a, what, what do you have? The fucking uh, Dodge Challenger, Michael Gagliardi. And it has a 318 engine in it, you know? The guy almost <laughs> killed me on the hutch, on the hutch driving 120 miles an hour. And then John Brady had a GTO on Nova. It was amazing. And everybody hung out, played stickball, you know, listened to music. It was great back then, man. Honestly, it's the best times of my life, you know? Can't do that yeah. anymore. It's right? fun that you'd say that that's the best times of your life because you've gone on to do so many great things with so many great bands. You know what I mean? That's yeah. great to that you have such great memories of, of, uh, of, your, you know, just growing up and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. what, so what, what was your first big break? Um, well, working for Charlie for, I was a drum tech for Anthrax, right? We, you know, no one from the neighborhood. You were the knot man running around in a fucking mascot mask. That was hysterical, man. They had this big head. I just put it on. I just, I became the knot man. I just, I just turned to this character. <laughs> it was hysterical. I just had everybody laughing. And I did my little moves, you know, back then. It was a lot of fun. I honestly, and uh, that's, that was a big break for me. And, you know, I was talking to Charlie about this. Um, he was just in town with Carla. We were talking like how we met, like, probably 17 years old, 18 years old at this, this little bar, a man's castle. It's called. And Scotty and loved that fucking name, a man's castle. So anyhow, it's this bar on East Streamline Avenue and a, a mutual friend, Mike Nicolari introduced us. And we just had so much in common. Like, you know, at the time, you know, new wave of British heavy metal and the band UK and progressive rock. And we just hit it off, man. And that was it. And then, and Charlie, like, he was ahead of me, like, in high school. He, were, he already left. and But he'd just be playing his guitar at his house, right? And and um, I would go there after school. I'd jam with him. He had the, the Rick uh, uh, fucking cheat trick guitar with the checkerboard thing. And yeah, I, yeah. I on his big kid. He had this giant kid. We played Motorhead songs, Iron Maiden songs. And it was a blast. And then Frankie Bello. We were in the high school band together, man. 
So that's basically like working for Anthrax, you know, being a tech. And I really enjoyed doing that. You know, I was in a band before that and it didn't, you know, pan out. The singer went to on to uh, join that band TNT, Tony Hornell. So oh, yeah. Singer. Yeah. So at that time, I was like, God, I want to, you know, want to play, right? Nothing was happening. And Charlie, it was almost like a joke thing. Hey, why don't you come on tour with this, man? It'll be fun. Because, you know, he knew I knew so much about drums and we, I would geek out and like, you'd be perfect. And um, I'm like, fuck yeah, man. Like, it was two weeks in Europe opening for Metallica. Like, when Jason well, Newstead, you know, got in the band, that was like, you know, after Cliff had died. And like, going and doing that, I was like, this is amazing. I, I, first of all, I'm out of my parents' house, right? I'm fucking hanging out with my friends. I'm touring the world. I'm getting paid. I'm having a blast. This is the best, best thing in the world, right? And then after that, I was like, this is fun. Charlie goes, come to Japan with us like the following month. I'm like, and that was it. I, and I was there for about three years. But from there, um, Exodus opened up and Testament opened up for Anthrax. And they see me sound check. So at two different occasions, like Tom Hunting couldn't do the tour for, you know, his reasons. And, um, they had asked me, I'm like, but I never played that kind of music before. I was just a hard rock, you know, heavy metal guy, but thrash music, especially like fucking Exodus and shit. Right. Like, oh. It was a challenge. And I asked Charlie, I was like, you should do it, man. So I, you know, I practiced a lot on the days off and, you know, in the hotels and just really honed in. I would watch like Perry Strickland from Violence came and filled in at that point. It was the Headbangers Ball Tour back in 88, was it? Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just watched and learned and just listened. And, uh, it was a challenge. And the first show was already booked at fucking Lemoore's in Brooklyn, like the hometown oh. show. <laughs> Talk about stress, like my first show, right? And we didn't go on until like one in the morning, too, man. Like, talk about a long day, right? I'll never forget Billy Milano was like, just, just relax, just take deep breath. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Hilarious. <laughs> and so, from that, so Exodus, um, you know, being be Charlie's tech, working, and they see me play. And then, and after Exodus was Testament, they also, I know the guys from, you know, touring as well, opening up and good friends. And from there, and then doing the Testament low record, and I, I had a, um, a call for about White Zombie, like looking for a drummer. And I lived in LA, and White Zombie was in LA at the time. But I, I would commute back and forth to the Bay Area for Testament at the time. Like, you know, my girlfriend was there. I was like, oh man, It'd be nice to be home. And, and I, I knew Zombie, they, they, there was something special about my, I kind of, this band's going to blow up. And I took that chance, you know, I didn't, I, you know, I'm not, not screwing anybody. I just like, I just felt in, in, you know, in my heart, it was something, the right thing to do. You know what I mean? So you did two records with them or three? With who? White oh, Zombie? With, White Zombie, yeah. One record, Astro Creep 2000. Oh, okay. Yeah. The big yeah. one. We toured. Yeah. And uh, yeah. You know, there, there was like remix records that came out after that and stuff. But yeah, right. that was a fun. That so that was like the big like you know arena tour and stuff, headlining and all with Zami with the pyro. It's like being Kiss basically. So right. that was a fun time in my life. Yeah, and Rob and I are you know still friends and it's great, man. I sent him a thing on the news, KTLA the other day in the morning. He, you know, I'm up at like fucking six o'clock in the morning every day. And there's like zombie. They're talking about zombie on the news. Like he's going to direct the monsters movie. Right. So I sent it to Rob, like, go oh, check this out. And he actually posted on his Instagram the other day, which is kind of funny. He's doing a monsters movie. I didn't know that. That's, yeah. That's funny. I want to do it for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm very fun. excited to see that. Well, yeah, he, I, we actually had the monsters coach in the, um, the Rob zombie video, um, Dragula. 
Yeah. Right. We want, we actually wanted the Dragula, but it was in the convention in Japan at the time, the coffin, that's the actual Dragula. So, you know, yeah, it wasn't available. So uh, Chuck Barris, who built all those cars, he had the coach, he brought it down to the video shoot. That was a blast, man. Just nice. seeing the freaking monsters coach, you know, it's fun. <laughs> Very nice. And then you had, I know that you play with Paige off and on in Helmet. Yes. That was next. Well, no, after White Zombie, um, the band broke up, but Rob wanted to take a little break. Like, he goes, I'm going to do my own thing. And he brought me aboard to Rob Zombie, which is cool, you know? So it was like the new guy, but like, (laughs) let's bring the new guy over. And uh, I did a couple records with him and tours. It was great. A lot of fun. And after that, that's when Rob decided to take a break and like, he wanted direct movies and all that. So I'm like, I can't sit around and wait around. So, um, uh, that's when I met Paige. Like he just moved to LA from our mutual friend Renee Mata. He goes, "Hey, Paige is in LA." I'm like, "I'm a, I was a big Helmet fan, but I was like, fucking Helmet, kind of intimidating in a way, you know? Because I remember Helmet being these monster guys, these tall like fucking basketball player dudes with baseball hats, right? And so we he put me in contact with Paige. We had met at the Cat and Fiddle in LA, and, and we just like shot the shit, and um, that was it, you know. We were just talking a couple shots later and like, hey, I have a drum room. Bring your amp down. He brought his amp down and and that was it. Right. Automatically. It was like we just clicked and we were like best friends to this day where I live right now in this house. Paige used to live right next door. That's the reason I moved here, Jim. Yeah. I remember the three of us had quite a night out in L.A. once. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of those, he doesn't say hi to you, by the way. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah. yeah. One of those. Uh, I mean, put you and me, put me and you together and. The next day was always really rough. I know, I know, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to my fast tomorrow. I'm taking a week off, so yeah. <laughs> and then, um, of course, now you've been the drummer of the cult for a, a long time, right? How many 15 years? Fifteen years. Fifteen yeah. years. The, the, best that's yeah. uh, the cult's amazing. I mean, I've loved the cult from from the very first record, um, mm-hmm. and uh, but it's but it's quite a departure from all the other bands we just talked about. So, how did that come about? Uh, I always love the cult. It's funny, like, um, like when the love record came out, I remember going to Bleaker Bob's and, and buying a shirt and like wearing a love shirt and going to see the lecture tour at the Fell Forum. And then it was like Madison Square Garden. That's why they used to have the boxing matches. Remember at the garden, the Fell Forum back then. And the cult played there. And I, it was, yeah, it was me and Charlie went to that show. And years later, I met Billy Duffy um, when Anthrax, was it, opened up for Kiss in 88, and, and Charlie introduced me and heard they were looking for a drummer at the time. I forget what happened at that point. But I was in Testament. I was in L.A., and my friend Ron Lafitte, who was managing Megadeth, he was managing the cult at the time. Um, he goes, Johnny, they're looking for a drummer. I think he'd be perfect. You know, at the time, it was like the grunge era. You went the flannel with the long hair, blah, blah, blah. And, like, just my style of music, because that that's, like, I'm more of that style, like, heavy metal, you know, hard rock. And so I was really pumped up for it. He sent me a, uh, a demo that Rick Rubin had just done called The Witch. I'm like, this is cool, man. So... And, you know, I was like, I was pumped up for this. I'm like, listen, I, I love electric. And I, I really felt like, okay, there's an audition at Third Encore Studios. I was crashing my friend's couch. I didn't have any money at the time. And I didn't even have a car. He drove me. To, it was a fucking, you know, L.A., like in the valley. In summertime, it's like 100 million degrees and shit, you know, in this little shitty Honda. So he takes me to the audition. I'm like, hey, I'm here for the cult. Um, it's like, oh, they're not here. I'm like, what are you talking about here? I was supposed to be here auditioning. 
They never showed up. That, they, they were done dealing with drummers. So before fucking cell phones, my friend dropped me off. I'm like, oh, great. I'm walking in this fucking heat. I got to find a pay phone, get a quarter so I could call Ryan with feet. Like, what the, What happened, man? Because I don't know. Those guys are like, you know, I don't know what happened. But you know what? I think about it now. Like, if if that would have happened, maybe, I, you know, timing is everything. Because that, I, I got the white zombie gig after that, right? So, if I would have gotten a cold gig, I wouldn't, you know, things work out for a reason, I guess. And 13 years later, I, I joined the call. So, so, so then how did that happen 13 years later? Mike Monarulo, as you know, you seen him last night, yeah. right? Good friend. Yeah. yeah, my we, you know, neighbor, you know, good old friend. He was saying that TKO, like with um Tom Vitorino, the manager um, from the Colts, and that there were there were auditioning drummers. Would you like to do? And at first, I was like, ah, fuck those guys. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I know where they're gonna go, but I was like, yeah, man. And like, you know, I love Helmet, I love Paige, but it was kind of like, you know, the deal didn't go through. And like, I, I, obviously, it's it's not about me leaving, it, but I have to survive, right? Moving on to uh, to play and, and make a living. And so, you know, I say, all right, send me the DVD of the live thing they're doing. And and that was it. So basically, I, just, I went in there, like, really feeling confident. I had nothing to lose at that point, right? So, and that's it. Sometimes it's just like anything, you know, confidence could take you a long way. And Chris, you're a boxy. I'm sure you know about that, right? Yeah, I mean, it, confidence is is half the battle. I think. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think that uh, life is always going to present you with stressful situations, and there's going to be like anxiety and fear. And of course, but that's good though. You need that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, if you don't have that anxiety or like like that nervous, if you don't have those butterflies, and you you know, before you go on stage, like give it up, man. Yep. You know. Yep. The excitement's gone. That's why I always do. Get it. Use it. Not let not let it use you. Exactly. Right. So now the next big topic of conversation is what the fuck have you been doing for 18 months when you couldn't go out and tour or, or, you know, how'd you, how did you spend your pandemic? It's funny. So it's, this is the first time I'm referring the, the, the prior podcasts we were still kind of in the pandemic. Um, now I'm asking, how did you, uh, what did you do uh, in the pandemic? Cause it seems well, like, right? yeah, right. I mean, I know, like, it's great, like, like everyone was doing the, uh, you know, the quarantine jams and stuff. I did a couple of those, which was great. And Charlie just, man, he just took over on it. He was fucking the master of that. It was amazing. But um, right before the lockdown happened, I just finished um, recording uh, the Motor Sister record, the new Motor Sister record, at Dave Grohl's studio. And a friend of mine, um, her friend worked at the governor's office and, and she had given me a warning saying they're going to do a full lockdown. So, and everybody, I told her at the studio, I'm texting everyone. So everyone's like, well, we got to go to the fucking, we got to finish up. And it was like, it didn't happen for like another week, but you know, I'd finished my tracks. I remember going to the market and just stocking up for like weeks. Right. This is it. I was kind of, I was kind of, you know, all right. Lockdown. Listen, I think in a lot of ways, and uh, I hate to say it, it really sucked. And but I think everybody kind of needed to chill out a bit too. I, I think there's a lot of good to it, a lot of bad, obviously the whole pandemic. But I just, you know, in general, um, people became way more creative in their own ways. You know, yeah, and doing things on your own at home. It's homeschooling. You know, my brother. You know, my niece and everything. Just everything. You know, um, but. Yeah. And then like the cult, we actually take long breaks, you know, I've taken a year up for the cult. So I'm kind of used to long breaks. <laughs> so it's like, all right. But now it's a little too long. I'm ready to go back on tour at this point. So you got the, you got the, uh, the, 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 
remake dates in October, but then are you going to go back out in 2022 or what's, or make a new record yeah. or what's the story? Yeah. New record happening and stuff they've been writing. So obviously like Billy was living in the, during the whole pandemic, he was in the UK. He's back here now, but he's going back to the UK. Um, yeah. And try to get this um, recording going. And then, uh, you know, next year, if things open in Europe, that'd be great, man. Doing the festivals out there. So let's hope. Yeah. Right. Um, they seem on track, right, Matt? All the Euro festivals for next year? Yeah, I think anything after May is fine. I definitely see the people. I see the people who have like the March, April festivals sweating a little bit still and not sure if like they can bring in everyone for a one off. Or I think the other issue is like all the tours have been moved. Right. Right. So it's like it's hard if, if this tour was set up around a festival. It's hard to kind of not have that band on your festival. How's it going to work with this whole, like... I, I don't mean, fucking know. It's a mess. No, we, we don't know. Like, honestly, you have a big festival, and, you know, people, like, you know, the honor system, we didn't get vaccinated with it, you know? And, like, who knows? And But there's such a liability, isn't it, like, for promoters? Yeah, I'm, going, I'm going to two... I'm going to two of Danny Wimmer's festivals. I'm going to Louder yeah. Than Light in September mm-hmm. and Aftershock in October, and it's going to be a little bit strange. Um, it is, right? Yeah. going to be a little bit strange. Um, I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't know how you... I don't know. Well, um, is it, right? That That's happening, isn't it? Yeah. That's a big thing. Yeah. Alcatraz yep. in Belgium is happening August 13th, which I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, I've seen that. Malcolm, when everything goes well, right? Are you do, Are you not doing any of the festivals here, are you? No, no. We're going to just do our, you know, the makeup shows right now and just go from there. Nice. Are you doing LA or Vegas or New York? San Diego right now. San Diego. Um, I'd like yeah. to come out. Come on out, man. It's I think that's October twenty seventh. It's a nice place though, right on the water there. Yeah. I love San Diego. It's gorgeous. Yeah, spend a night, take the girl down, hang out for a couple days over there. You know? Dude, I got a restaurant for you. Uh, that is a restaurant. It's basically, my favorite restaurant in the United States. Um, it's called Born and Raised. It's a steakhouse. Um, it's in, it's in, um, the, like the little Italy section, but it's not an Italian restaurant. Uh, but it's amazing. You should definitely yeah. go with in San Diego. Oh, well, in San Diego. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's yeah. go, man. That'd be yeah. fun. It's a great place. All right, we're speaking of restaurants, you know, well, we, we know Chris Santos, the big chef guy over here. How I many, you know, he's got like a gazillion restaurants, but Let's talk about my cousin Alfredo Miccoli. He has Elmore in Brooklyn in Dumbo. Okay, we're gonna take That's it. Great. Right? I know. He's been, been, there. been open for a long time, huh? Long time. Yeah. yeah. How did he get through the pandemic? Because uh, you know, restaurants obviously in New York at had. First, a- you no, know, at first he didn't do anything. He didn't do like the delivery or anything. So I'm like, you got to get your shit together, you know? Because you know, a lot of the cooks, everybody just like they didn't know what was happening, but then they were able to do the out outdoor patio like everyone did and you know it's like the locals that always go there they like to you know contribute and help out and and the food's amazing so they got him through this and he's doing better than ever right now i'm definitely going to make it make a note matt when i'm in new york the next time when you're in new york we'll go to we'll go okay. there i know yeah. i just i really appreciate john all your like deep new york connections that you've been bringing up throughout this it's kind of cool to see like oh okay like you lived in LA for like 25 years now or something. Oh, longer than that. I've been yeah. in LA longer than you are. And, yeah. But it's, it's good to see that you're still like in love with a lot of the facets of this city. 
oh, it's 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 my home, man. You know, as soon as I get off that airplane, you know, it's, you, the energy in New York, there's nothing like in the world. And I travel all over the world, but there's nothing like going to New York City, man. Nothing. Yeah, you I know? agree. The energy of the fucking city, man, the best ever. Where, where do you think that energy comes from? I just think the people are so diverse and just everybody does, you know what I mean? It's like, I mean, it's just New York. Maybe, maybe because it's so small in a way that, you know, it's yeah. like people have to deal with each other. And, you know, there's so many factors of like music and, you know, film and food and just, it's just everything. Like architecture, you know, New York City, man. Nothing, nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Right? Nothing like it. And you're it's from Providence. Amazing. You got some good fucking clams out there, though. Oh, yeah. The best. <laughs> and, and, the, and the best lobster rolls are Rhode Island style, I'm telling you. Oh, yeah, man. That's good stuff. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I was, uh, I love, I, I love Providence. I, I haven't, I got to go back. I haven't been back since 2019 because of. Uh, what was the place in Providence? I remember the living room, was it? The, the living room. room and Lupo's. Lupo's, both. Yeah, played those. Yeah. The living room. Oh, crowds, man. Love, I, I worked. Love it. I worked at both of those venues. You did? That's yep, crazy. I, I didn't know that. We probably was, met way back then, then, huh? Yeah. Think about that, man. Wow. When I was from the time I was 18 till the time I moved to New York at 23, I, I worked there and uh, I worked at a place called Club ba- Club Babyhead, which was a smaller, like maybe. I remember that place? What's that? I remember that place. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if it, if it, if it I, I don't know it wouldn't have been you I don't think it was the early '90s but um I remember, um I mean that venue I saw Nirvana at that venue I saw you know working there as Nirvana came through Pearl Jam came through but there was this it was Pearl Jam featuring members of Mother Love Bone like no Pearl Jam wasn't even Pearl oh, Jam wow it was maybe maybe twenty people showed up I saw Pantera in front of about fifty people I, I remember. Saw, I don't think we played there, but I remember going there. It's almost like the 930 Club kind of deal, right? Yes. Yeah. Right? That kind of vibe, right? Small yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Some really great bands came through. Smashing Pumpkins, Jane's Addiction. Oh, fucking man, what, a great, what a great time for music, huh? Yeah. I mean, they, those were those were my best times of my life. Those four years, just five nights a week. Uh, I was at that club, and five nights a week, there was a great band. You got to see them all, dude. Magic. You working on anything uh, else you want to talk about other than cult stuff? Yeah, well, besides that, I'm actually recording this song my brother wrote for Grand Bonnet, you know, Rainbow and Alcatraz and all that, yeah. on his new record. My brother wrote the song, and we're big, like, you know, we're friends of Grand, first of all. It actually started with um, Phil Demel from Machine Head, you know, Phil. Violet, yeah, Phil, yeah. You know? And uh, he always started me because I'm a big Cozy Powell fan, like or Simon Phillips or Michael Schenker. And during the uh, the quarantine jam, he wanted to do uh, Into the Arena, right? The song. I'm like, you know what? I have this song that uh, it sounds like a song I wrote with my brother before. Why don't we do something like Assault Attack, you know, with Graham Bonnet? So I'm like, and I could try to, I could ask Graham if he want to be a part of it. So I, I want to get him on this jam with my brother, Phil, and Joey Vera, and Joey mix it, and it came out great. It was a lot of fun, man. So from there, you know, my brother wrote the song for his new record, and I played on it, and so we might do another song. So really exciting, man. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. I was a big fan of um, Human Waste Project that he was. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. They were badass. Yeah. I'm, I'm, to this day, I'm really, really, really tight with uh, Amy. Amy Echo. Uh, uh, my brother loves you too, man. He fucking, yeah. He's like, when you said that human waste project, you were, what? You know, it's great. Yeah. 
Yeah. I remember I was in Europe actually. And uh, I think it was like 97 or 98. And I was in a record store and they were playing it. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And I went up and I asked the guy, I was in France actually. And, and uh-huh. I've I got the CD and I wore that CD out. Um, I was in Europe for months and months and I wore that CD completely out. It's a great record, isn't it, man? I actually yeah. played it about a few weeks ago. I'm like, you know what? On my iTunes, like, just fucking lit. I was like, wow, really cool experimental kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, great, great, great songs. Uh, mm-hmm. Especially the back end of the record, I feel like, is really, really, really good. Yeah, yeah. That song, One Night in Spain, is fucking awesome. Oh, man. Yeah. And so besides that, well, like I was telling Mark, um, we were, you know, finishing up the tracks for the Motor Sister record, as you know. We came to your restaurant, Tracy Vera, you know, and Joey. And so uh, all the overdubs are done. The mixing's done. Jay Rustin did an amazing job. So we're just going to master it right now. And we're just doing a photo shoot next week, maybe do some videos. And um, I'm really excited for people to hear this record. It's, it's great, Thanks. man. Yeah, it's a good energy. So you're definitely keeping yourself busy. Yeah, yeah, for the most part. Yeah, <laughs> trying. <laughs> Playing, you know, I do my routine. Go to, you know, take my dog to the park every morning. I, I go to my studio and do all this. You know, just, just to, re- it's, it's fine. Life is good, man. I, you know what? God bless. You know, everything is fine. Absolutely. I mean, do you have any idea what the next, you know, what's next? Is it beyond the cult, beyond? Working with your brother beyond Motor Sister, are there other things that you want to do? Or you- I did do a record actually uh, last October. I, got, I guess I could talk about it now. We're Rob Caggiano, you know, Volbeat Anthrax. Oh yeah, we have another project called Temple of the Black Moon. It's a very heavy project with Danny Phil from Cradle of Filth and King of Hell from Golgoroth. And there's something that we've done. Like Rob used to be my old roommate in LA, and um, we did this years ago and like then I did a record and never Rob wasn't there for production. So Rob was like, we're going to we're gonna redo these tracks and it's fucking heavy, man. And uh, he brought me to New York in October. I flew on the day of my birthday, September 26th, went to my cousin's restaurant that day. And, uh, and we were locked up in Babylon, uh, Long Island to do this record at the studio, Dan Cornell studio. Uh, I'll call him off. I'm sorry. And um Honestly, he brought some shit out of me, man. Rob, Rob is, he has an amazing year and a, as a producer and everything. He killed me, this guy. But honestly, I haven't played like that since like Testament Low record. So, really? That's awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you're going to kill me, you fuck. But I'm excited about it. It's like, I can't wait. When are we, we going to be able to hear that? No, no, ask Rob. Like, is he going to do his guitar tracks anytime soon? Okay, <laughs> got it. I can text him on the side. Text him right now. Are you done with the tracks yet? <laughs> That's awesome to keep yourself so busy, brother. Now it's good, man. This is what we did, you know. It's, you know, I mean, who knows? There could be something around the corner. I did. I do this jam thing that, um, which was fun, you know. But my, you know, sometimes you pick, you know, what you want to play with and everything. I'm, I'm pretty content with my band with the call for 15 years mother sister i love and this whole project and my brother jam with him it's all good man love it thank you john for spending some time it's been good going all over the place oh that was a lot of fun man i'm so glad. thanks for having me aboard man it's just great hearing all the all the stuff i'm so you know i mean i love you as, as a human you, you know you're a really good friend but uh, so just so happy for your success and all the shit that's got you got going on. I mean, uh, appreciate that. You work hard and you've you've earned you've earned all of it. It's fucking awesome. It's really awesome. Thank you, thank you guys. And uh, I want to see that Bowie post you have, whatever it is at your house when you get out here. Yeah, it's really cool. We're gonna get you. We're gonna get you to the house real soon. I promise. Oh no, 
Dude, I'm here all summer, baby. Okay. All right. Well, listen, man. This has been another great episode of Delirious Nomads. It's one of my favorites because I just love I love you, John, and you and that fucking Bronx act, accent. I could hear you. Just I could I could just sit here and listen to you listen to you read the encyclopedia, and I'd be happy. Hey, hey, Johnny, over there. It's never gonna go. It's like I don't, I've been in LA long enough. I've been in New York. It's like it, it only takes me like two days to go to New York with my Guido brothers, and like that's it. It's done. You know. I'll never. This is a funny story, really quick. My brother Vinny, when I lived in LA for a while, like. When I first moved out, I came to New York. I'm like, hey, can I have some coffee? You know, coffee, you know? He looked at me with this disgusting look. He looked at me. He goes, what, do you got a fucking flower in your throat? <laughs> so there you go. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening. All right, dude. Thank, thanks right, so much, guys. John. Appreciate you. I'll talk to you soon. All right. So that was awesome. Thank you, everyone out there, for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talk to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh revisiting classic material talking about the new classics um all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that that you either love want to love or hate yeah imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh has impacted your life uh and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week so triangulate your speaker's Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast.